it's camp, camp, camp all the way through, which is what it should be. And yeah, you're right. It's the framework. It's how you look at a business to see, okay, where could the gaps be? Like you definitely need all these four things to be working well. Your creative has to be on point. You have to kind of go deep there and know who you're talking to and what kind of messaging playbook you're going to run. You have to have the right blend of traffic. You know, the experience after the click has to be on point and your data has to be there so you know what you're looking at to judge if you're doing a good job or not. This is the Customer Acquisition Show. The podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I'm your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And today I'm joined by Mike Lambert, a resident Olympian, former VP of Marketing at Tier 11. Before that, he was Customer Success Manager and now he's the VP of Customer Success. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Yeah, we were just riffing on this beforehand. We've sat in this marketing seat for a long time and know some of the struggles that go along with it. Lots of highs and lows. We're brothers in arms here. Yeah, we've all heard it. Where are the leads? Give me some leads, Mike. Give me some leads, Tom. Where are they? That's actually a perfect segue. You were talking about how we are basically like the department that brings in the high quality leads with marketing. And then customer success is really the department that keeps the high quality clients around and make sure that they have the best experience. Talk a little bit about how you've seen the transition back and forth with your roles and how you think about making sure that we are delivering on the promise that marketing gives. Yeah, well, it certainly is interesting because there's the message. If you think about the client journey, their first interaction with Tier 11 is on the marketing side, right? They're either listening to the podcast or they're seeing ads or they're engaging with us in some way. And they have a certain impression of what we do and what we're great at and what their expectations are going to be. And sometimes there can be a disconnect when they come over to production or the team that's fulfilling their agreement on what they're delivering and all that. So I've seen how there can be a gap between what they're being delivered on and what they were sold or promised or whatnot. I guess my role, I view it as trying to marry the two together, make sure that they have the right expectations coming in and that the team is set up to succeed on the back end to deliver and hopefully over-deliver on, on what they thought they were getting. Yeah, I imagine expectations is going to be, I mean, the main theme of what we talk about today. And whether it's meeting expectations, managing expectations, setting realistic expectations, those are core to the things that you do within the customer success department. I guess from the very get-go, like when we start talking about the onboarding process of a customer coming in, what's that look like for you in the initial stages of meeting a customer and getting on the same page? Yeah, I think for an onboarding to go well, I guess it's the first impression of the handoff where they're no longer dealing with sales and they're working with the operations fulfillment team. And so the onboarding is, I think, where someone in my role or in a customer success role or account manager role is... You have to know, do your research, watch the sales call recordings so you understand what's been said before. Make sure you do your due diligence on any prep work and all that. You're going above and beyond. So when you show up to that first call, they already feel like you know them and that's the first time you've met them. But you're already up in their business asking smart questions and want to learn more and all that kind of thing. I feel like that's always where you want to put a lot of effort is that first impression from your standpoint. What's an effective onboarding? You know, It's your chance to make a first impression. It's delivering on their expectations. It's also setting boundaries, setting the tone, just even how you show up to the call. Are you smiling? Are you energetic? Do you have your energy there? Do you show confidence that you know what you're doing and you're going to take care of them? You're trying to earn their trust and you do that by being very well prepared and then laying out things visually. In our case, we do four onboarding calls over four weeks and just kind of letting them know what to expect next and making sure you have a buttoned up, dialed up 
effective onboarding with the right person leading it is huge. I've been on calls where we've had not necessarily a perfect person running it and you just feel like it's kind of flat. You're just like, ah, oh, man, they're probably like getting buyers of ours right now because this call is almost kind of a downer. So it's almost like a show. They need to feel like, ah, oh, I'm getting taken care of. It's a lot. It's like when you walk into the restaurant, you expect you're going to eat this great meal from the chef and that you know, you've been sold that from the marketing standpoint. If the waiter is bringing you in or whoever's seating you is doing a poor job, you're kind of off to a bad start. So Yeah. And you talked a little bit about getting up in their business. I imagine from the client side, the worst feeling is when they ask a question and we don't know what they're talking about. I mean, you've done so many onboardings at this point that you know that they're going to ask that you are prepared with. And like, what are some of those key ones? Well, yeah, in our process, we try to ask a lot of those questions before the onboarding call. So we have our questionnaire where we're asking, what are your near-term goals? What are your baseline KPIs? More things about their business. And so the more they put into that, the more that we can learn about them and the smarter questions we can ask. They need to come to the table with the right things too. And then we ask other deeper questions. But some of the other things that are important to us, we want to know what their objective is the first 30, 90 days, and then also beyond that. What's the first thing of value that we can know that we can try to deliver on and, and we know that, okay, we've hit their expectations. So there's, it can get nuanced too. Like if they were coming from another agency, I want to know, okay, well, why did they leave that other agency? What did they not get from that other agency? So I'll kind of plant some questions in there to better understand where someone else may have faltered so that we make sure we don't make that same mistake, whether it was just they were poor communicators or they didn't show us the plan or it felt like they weren't swinging the axe all the time for us anymore. So it's really good to understand where they came from to know, okay, that's something I definitely want to avoid, or I know I can over-deliver there, so I'll put some more effort there, etc. We've talked about it too, is some questions that seem almost like a given, but are really good to dig into is the what's your why, what's your vision. Apart from reading about it on their About Us page on their website, really trying to pin them down to better understand what it is. And it's amazing how many brands don't have that clarity, that singular clarity where they just like, what's your why? Like, and they could spin it out. And that, that's something they've been thinking about, you know. But when you have that clarity, it makes everything easier. Yeah. The initial question when we ask that is usually almost always a business goal, right? But that's not what we're asking at all. Like, we help purpose driven brands achieve their vision. And we spend a fair amount of time digging into what their actual vision is, like why they're doing this business. What are some of the more interesting visions that you've helped people find that they didn't even know they were trying to achieve? Yeah, one recently was in the auto industry. We were with the owner and we were asking that question. It wasn't the onboarding call that we were doing this. We had already been engaged with them for a while. But this was at the point where we realized how important it was to really be aligned with someone's vision and have clarity on it. Because it can be a guiding light, whether you're doing a good job or a bad job. And it can tie down whatever you're doing to their bigger goal. And they didn't know. And so we had to literally start writing down and reading some testimonials and seeing what resonated. I think at the time, ChatGPT was there. So we were trying to run through some stuff like, what does even ChatGPT think about some of these inputs? With a little bit of that help and a little bit of our free thinking, we did kind of nail it down. And it was something along the lines of, we help DIYers create memories with their loved ones. It doesn't sound as powerful as it actually is, but it was powerful for that owner because they're like, yeah, that's why I'm in here battling all the time. It's because our product goes and helps people create memorable experiences with their families and their loved ones. It's like, that's something to get behind and get you through tough times knowing that we do have a mission and a reason and a vision of what we do. So they liked it. They're like, gosh, you know, that click for them and it was a powerful moment. So anytime you can be either helping that or getting clarity on what that is with somebody... 
I think you're no longer just an agency. You're kind of a partner. And they feel like, okay, these people get me. They know what I'm all about and why I'm doing these things I'm doing. So that was a really cool experience to be a part of. And I think it's in knowing their why has like really helped our team in fulfillment of knowing how to approach their work. And even your CSO team of here's why we're doing this. This is how we're coming up with these creative decisions is to achieve this why. And it's not a business objective. That is part of the goal, but it's also like helping that DIYer have these memorable moments and be proud of the things he has. And mm-hmm. you know, that really helps drive the creative, the media buying, not that we target as much anymore, but it really helps inform who we're going after and finding the right audience for that product. Yeah. And it's kind of nice. I mean, every good organization that you can think of that's been around and been successful has had a strong visionary who's led that. I come from the sports world. So you walk into certain locker rooms and they have it there you know, on the wall. So everyone knows why they're in the weight room working so hard or about to get into the gym or get on the field. They have that clarity on the identity almost. Good companies, Apple, think of all the good brands out there. They all have Nike, something similar. So it is kind of a scoreboard. It's almost like you want it to be front and center and to always be reminded about it. So I guess first level, you should always have the KPI that they are caring about front and center on the top of whatever report or meeting agenda you have. And then perhaps above that would be the mission statement. They're trying to impact this many people in the world with their product by this date, etc. Whatever is that big vision why thing up there, below that, the KPI that's going to help them get there. And then your meeting agenda or whatever your topic is for that meeting, going below that. But when it's front and center and they're always seeing it every time they're on a call with you, they're like, oh, yeah, these guys get me. I'm trying to, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And here we are talking about maybe the strategy or the tactics to do it. And I think that really helps us set ourselves apart as a partner versus just a vendor. We view ourselves as a part of the business and want to be delivering value that achieves their vision. Talk a little bit about the difference between like actual value and perceived value in this relationship. Yeah, that's a good one. That is exactly how you ascend from being just an agency that's been hired to like a partner, almost like a business partner, is you want to build up the trust and you do that and over-deliver and find ways to over-deliver on perceived value, right? So you could look at it like two ways. So actual value is just like delivering on the exact scope of work, providing the you know media buying services, creative production, or whatever it is you may be doing, you know, CRO, etc. Hitting their KPIs, producing quality work, giving the data analytics and learnings and all that kind of thing. It's what they expect to get when they pay your invoice every month. It's like, okay, I'm paying this invoice and these services. That's what I'm getting. And then the perceived value is kind of like what we're talking about. It's what's their user experience with you? Do these guys get me? Are they asking me really good questions? You know, are they great at communicating? Do I like getting on a call with them? You know, or is the call kind of flat and boring? I just can't wait for this call to get over with my agency. I think if you're always interested in their business and their goals and asking those why questions and trying to dig deeper into that, I think that's where you build up that perceived value and you become a partner because you're not just showing up to work and swinging the axe and doing what you need to do and going home, you're actually in there like as if you were a part of the company. So I certainly try to do that and have our team do that. And when we do that, that's when we have these long-lasting relationships that kind of take you through the low times because we're in direct response and everyone knows here in direct response that I'm really had an update. And then for a whole month, performance is down. And if you're just an agency, that's an easy cut for me, right? If I'm a business owner or a brand, if it's like, but I need these guys because they're not that replaceable or I know we'll get through this because they just care so much. And then that'll get you through those times too. So it's really beneficial to everyone, right? It's going to make you do better work. 
they're going to get on with you more. It's kind of a win-win investment as far as what you could be doing as an agency. So you talked a little bit about like wanting to get on calls right here. And then earlier in the onboarding, we had some onboardings where maybe they were dragged a little bit. Talk a little bit like how you have that right person there. I mean, it's a little bit of a show, but it's really building a good relationship. How do you find the right team members to fill that role where it is creating a strong partnership and relationship? Yeah. In our industry, you could kind of play in a bunch of different ways, right? You could have your best hands-on-the-tools person who's going to be in the weeds, be client-facing because they're going to be able to answer all the technical questions and they know the account inside it out from like a weed standpoint. But that could backfire on you, right? If you've got a person who's like that on the other end who wants to get in the weeds and be all data-oriented and all that, maybe that could work out. But a lot of times, you need that high EIQ person on there who really knows how to communicate, who is a taskmaster. Those would be the three things I think that if you were to look in another industry, like say in B2B SaaS, that's what those account managers or CSMs are great at. These are companies that have a proven model. We know B2B SaaS is this huge industry where they're able to scale to enormous sizes because they have those types of people interacting with their clients. And so there's a lot to learn from that. And I think it works very well with digital marketing. Yeah, you need to know a little bit about digital marketing and all that, but you really know how to manage the person across from you, right? You need to be able to understand what type of person are they? Are they like, show me what work's being done and I'm out? You know, Are they like a people person too? Are they... I need all the data and information. So show me a lot of that. Okay, this person's going to do well if I feed them this type of information. So that's where the EIQ comes in on knowing who you're working with so that you can run the playbook that's best suited for their kind of profile, as it were. So I think that role is so important. You can't just have anyone there. You have to have someone who's going to be able to work with that person. And they don't have to be in the weeds expert. They can get that information, but they just need to be able to understand that other person, their client, get them to be able to say, yeah, that's right. That's what I want. Never split the difference is being able to ask questions and dig deeper until you get to the point where that person says, yeah, that's right. And they feel understood because people want to just feel understood. So if you're good at doing that, you'll be able to get them what they want. So that could be arguably even more important. Yeah, I think of it kind of like in our relationship with Facebook and the different partner managers we've had over the years. And that's functionally like their role, really. They don't know all the technical stuff that we know or need, but they're really there to help understand our business objectives and what we specifically want. And then they go back to their team of subject matter experts, technical people, figure out the right pieces to put together and come back to us with a solution. And that's basically what we're modeling here as well with our CSOs. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was with Ralph, our CEO, when we got to go to the Meta headquarters in Austin. And that's almost exactly what Ralph said, because we did have a partner manager who I would put in that bucket, you know, who's very good external client facing, not the expert who's going to answer all the technical questions, but knows, okay, for that question, I need to cue in this person and this person. And so when we showed up, we were there to co-host the client, but we also got a presentation that was kind of customized to us as an agency because we're a partner. We're at the certain status level with Meta. And the presentation we got was like, Ralph was kind of like, wow, this is great. They're really doing this all for me. And she organized everything really well. She had strong questions. She had a presentation. She had a good follow-up. There was an email after that. There were some other things that happened after the meeting. And it was him feeling like he was taken care of and him feeling that he was important. You could see that in the deliverables that they did, the people that were brought in, the presentation that was made, the follow-up and all that. So 
it makes an impact because then you're like, okay, yeah, I've got the VIP treatment there. It's a good thing. I think the trick is for agencies is how do you do that if you're trying to scale too? Do you want that high touch experience with low touch, not effort, because you're still putting the effort, but you know what I mean? You need to be able to increase the perceived value without having it so draining on the team. And I think there's smart ways to do it. You just have to build that out beforehand so it becomes a template that the team can fulfill on. But you know that the output of that template is high-quality work. We can kind of get into that if, if you want to as well. Yeah, I think we should get into that. And going into the template a little bit, having customer acquisition amplification, this template that we basically apply to all customers is sometimes piecemeal based off the business needs, really helps a lot in that communication of the value and aligning it with their business needs. So it's not always custom work for each one. It's a framework that we've proven out of our multiple clients that we can showcase in a way that it aligns specifically with their business. So it does feel exactly like it is for them and only for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the camp framework that almost kind of goes back to the first thing we talked about, which was marrying up the customer journey from when they engage with us as an agency on the marketing side, then the sales side, and then the fulfillment side right there. It's camp, camp, camp all the way through, which is what it should be. And yeah, you're right. It's the framework. It's how you look at a business to see, okay, where could the gaps be? Like You definitely need all these four things to be working well. Your creative has to be on point. You have to kind of go deep there and know who you're talking to and what kind of messaging playbook you're going to run. You have to have the right blend of traffic. You know, The experience after the click has to be on point. And your data has to be there so you know what you're looking at to judge if you're doing a good job or not. So I think that's a great overarching template. And then on the account level, as you work with someone, it's always easy in the very beginning when you work with someone because you're full of ideas. You've done the audit on their account. You're like, okay, you know, for sure they need to fix this and we'd want to do that and do that. But like at month six, month seven, you're probably out of ideas. How do you keep showing up and delivering value for that client. What do you do? What keeps you on track? Are you just ad hoc and wait for things to kind of fall off and then circle the wagons and try to leverage the brain trust of the agency and the experts to come up with a plan? Or what are you doing? We went through that as well, right? And it's hard. That's very demanding and draining on everyone and not very repeatable. But one thing that I think we've done a good job of and I think is representative of a template that you can scale out as you scale up is with us after the onboarding, we're going to then do a monthly report and that'll be our first chance to look back, get some learnings and have a plan going forward for the month. But at the three-month mark, we're going to do a QBR and we have dialed that in. That's going to carry you. You're going to get all learnings to get to look back three months. There's more to pull when you have more data to pull and more learnings you can do. So it's a good retrospective that goes far enough back to be significant and worthy of the effort. And it also lays out what you want to do for the next three months. You don't run in that scenario where you're like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. Because if you've done the QBR, you're like, okay, we have these three things that if we could do this, I know based on what we've learned and what we know about you, this is going to help impact the business. And that gets you to the next three months. And then you have two more monthly reports in between. And that's a good way to do it. What we learned is that it's also an accountability dock because a lot of the times... As in a real partnership, it's like, okay, here's what we can do to influence it. This is our decisions on media buying. Here's what we can do from a creative standpoint. Here's what we can do from a CRO standpoint, etc. We could do all of this, but unless we have more creative content from you, more UGC or more of this or more of that, it's going to be hard. That's the firewood to put in our ads to make a big fire. If we don't have any raw assets to work with, we're not going to do it. So maybe it's us being able to hold the client accountable for, look, if we want to succeed and hit your vision of doing this and these KPIs, etc., you need to invest to make sure you deliver this and your team's not doing it or you don't have that capability. Here's a reference. Here's the partner who could do it. 
And so that kind of helps, I think, because if you're my trainer and I'm going to the gym and I'm paying you to be my trainer, you're my accountability partner. You're like, okay, well, what'd you eat? You know, what, how come you're off your diet or how come you're not doing this workout? You need that person there to push you, right? If you go to the gym, just work on your own, you'll do all right. But if you have someone pushing you, you're going to do more. That's our chance to be the trainer. And we're all pushing towards the same thing, right? We all want the same goal, but it's also us reminding them, hey, you keep harping on us to do this. We're doing everything we can, but you also need to do that. The QBRs kind of serve in a sense to keep both parties on track towards the greater good, the greater goal. We do like it because, you know, most companies work on a quarterly basis. We run the EOS as well. So we're quarterly rocks and milestones and all that kind of thing. So the QBR is almost like a quarterly rocks, milestones, to-dos type of thing that you can run as a playbook. That's something that's really nice. And it's working. I mean, you talk about running out of ideas at six months. We've been keeping it fresh with multiple clients, 40, 50 months. It's definitely working. Yeah. Yeah. We actually got some great feedback from one of our clients who's been around for a while. And we're one agency they work with. They have other agencies as well. And one thing that we worked out was, what are we doing well? What could we be doing better, etc. We had like this kind of back channel call with our executive team and their executive team just to make sure everything was good. We can kind of talk about that later too. But the thing I love about Tier 11 is that they're always swinging the axe. I never feel like they're just clocking it in, checking in, and not really delivering for us. They're always trying to find new things to test and always trying, right? So that's one thing I think every client that we've been able to retain more than our average retention rate is they just feel like they're a team that's swinging the axe for them and going to town and doing the work and showing up and caring, right? Because it's easy to get complacent. And when they sense complacency, like, oh, okay, I'm just another client for this agency. Here's the same old weekly report, you know, nothing new. They're just kind of checking in. Then they go, okay, they don't feel that special. And they churn. We've had that too. Like we're, We've gotten feedback on these back channel calls where they felt the team wasn't swinging the axe and that they were just clocking in to do a job but not really trying to impact the business. And we've had to switch teams to make sure that we could deliver on that. So, but... I think, again, the QBR can kind of help that because it at least shows, look, they have a plan. At least I know what they're trying to do. They gave me this plan and they're working that plan. Even just showing up and knowing that you have a plan is a good sign and a good thing you can do. Yeah. I think being able to show your decision-making, coming from a creative background, I always had a lot better approval rate when I described my decision-making process going into presenting something versus if I just dropped a creative in front of somebody then they are kind of filling in the gaps of, well, why is this there? Why is that there? But if there's, again, a why, then it explains a lot and people can see and try new things when they understand it's been thought through. So we've talked quite a bit about like building this relationship, making people feel special. I mean, clients do pay a lot of money a month to work with us. And this is all happy times. What about the tough times? How do we have these tough conversations with clients? It's like the worst call when they're not happy or they're complaining or they want to leave or maybe a termination letter and you're just trying to figure out why. It happens to everyone. I mean, that's just a part of being in the agency business. It's tough to get in front of it when you're way behind in the hole. If there's been something that's been festering for weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe even months, and you haven't done anything about it, or you didn't even know about it, that's tougher to recover from, which is why one of the things that we found effective is you could call it like a, you know, executive check-in. So whoever the check writer is, or whoever the person who's making the decision on whether this is a successful relationship or not, if I'm in charge of customer success, I want to know what they're thinking and I probably want to do it in a more private way than doing it on a call where all maybe team members are on it. It's different than, okay, here's our weekly agenda. We're checking in. How are things? You know, this is more of a 
relationship thing. And sometimes I'll even pull in Ralph or Angela from our production ops team. Sometimes I'll pull in our CFO. Sometimes I'll pull in our COO. And it'll be more of a candid call where it's a chance for us to really, hey, how are we doing? Is the team doing a good job? Is there something that's not going well? What do you like that we're doing? What could we be doing more of? Is there anything that you wish we could be doing for you, which is kind of like the secret way to probe for an upsell. Like, oh, we don't like our email marketing. Well, did you know that we do email marketing? You can soft probe that way for upsells. That's been effective because there's been a lot of candid conversations through these meetings that have resulted in like, oh my gosh, we're doing a terrible job. We better go fix this right now before... I had it actually marked as an account that was green. We were all good there, you know, but it's actually more like a yellow or red because apparently we did that or didn't do that. So... I think those calls, that's like the proactive side of customer success. The reactive side is like, you know, oh, you know, the house is on fire, go in there and try and save it, which it's easy to fall into just worrying about your red accounts. But the most value I can deliver in my role is being in the front, asking those proactive questions. And it's almost under the guise of checking in, how are we doing? And it's not call out something that we did wrong and talk about it. It's more like to just check in. And then as a result, they can voice their true opinion or any frustration they may have or a shout out that they have for somebody. And we can then course correct there while we're still in front of it. You know, like we just had one yesterday. Everything was going great. We got great reviews from this person in this marketing seat, except for I just wish your reports would be a little more substantive. Don't just say, here's my weekly report. Like, give me a one sheer executive thing that I can just read because I don't want to click on that Google Data Studio report and have to go find that all myself because that person is more of a, I just want the executive, just give it to me quick. You know, they're not the super data person where they're going to go in and click into the report and look at everything and plug in their own numbers and spend, you know, 20 minutes looking at the data site. So that was useful because then we could just tell our team, hey, go do this. And now he's happy he doesn't have that small little mini thorn in his side that's going to fester, right? It's it's already, we plucked it out. So Yeah. And I think that kind of goes to one of our jobs is to make the person look good internally to their boss. Give them something they can present as well. Yes. But what you're describing, I know you love analogies and you can throw (laughs) some one away. I'm going to call this the CS zipper. So we have the uh, CSO and the marketing director are connected. You tend to connect with the VP of marketing, CMO level. And then we try to get Ralph to connect with their CEO and like to really create a strong relationship all the way through. Because Ralph and the CEO have different conversations, typically a lot more about more future casting, talking about business and things that maybe aren't related to a service that we do. But because we work with so many businesses, we can provide some guidance there. And we learn a lot from those as well. And then you talking with the CMOs, even like more future casting for the marketing where a marketing director or marketing manager that interacts with the CSO tends to be a quarterly focus. If you want the CS zipper, you can take it. If not, you can unzip it and throw it out. I like it. You know, you got the C-suite and our C-suite. We want to zip them all up. So everyone at every level is connected somehow. That's, I like that. To your first comment there of how to make the person look good. Yeah, because we have people that we work with that sometimes they're the check writer, sometimes they're not, but they're definitely the person that's the key influencer in the account, right? They're closest to us and we want to make them look good. So it could even be like one recently was they fight for ad spend resource for investment amongst other divisions in their company, right? Because there's digital, there's direct mail, there's traditional marketing billboards and radio and that kind of thing. And the company at a whole is trying to figure out where are they going to get the best return on their investment? Which channel is it? And so in our case, we're like, let's do a report so that we can really show how well digital has been doing and paid social is doing so that they can advocate internally to get more budget. And then we'll make this guy look good because... 
he's going to be able to give this report that's all nice and buttoned up and has all the right things in it to show that his department's performing and probably even worthy of investing in further. So it's like knowing what that person's goal is or what their rock is. If they're running on rocks and, oh, you know, do you even, that's a really good one to know, like what that person's rock is. Oh, I have to deliver this number of whatever it's revenue or return or this or that. And if you know what that is and you make them look good, of course, they're going to keep you around, right? So yeah, that would be kind of more my level trying to make sure to do that. And then connecting Ralph, the CEO, with their CEO is always good because then they have those kind of business owner to business owner conversations. They can connect on visions and talk about big picture stuff. They can help each other like with introductions to their network, their respective network. That's always a good one to do as well and can work for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The zipper. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. You know, a lot of times in like this vendor-client relationship, it can feel a bit adversarial. How do we make sure that they feel like we're on their team and not just trying to get them to pay us more for more work? Yeah, it happens when the performance isn't there. Okay, here's a good example of it, where it can come in and work against you as the agency, even though you mean well. For example, performance is down. Why is performance down? They're always going to be saying, well, it's because you're ads or you're media buying or you're this or you're that. We may think, yeah, but it's actually because you're not giving us any credit, which may be true, but it can't come off that way because that comes off as you just pointing the finger at someone else for the bad result that everyone is experiencing. I think if you always come from the frame of let me turn the mirror on me and self-reflect, make sure I'm delivering and we're doing everything we can on our side of the table... Then I earn the right to then point the finger. But if your first reaction is, well, because that's not what the report, you know, if you're confrontational and you're pointing the finger as your first reaction, that's not good. Or if you're, well, it's because your offer's tired. You need to rework your offer. They're like, my offer was fine last month. Why is my offer the problem right now? And it, it may be true. Offers do fatigue and you have to kind of be able to coach people into wanting to look at that. But you don't want to point the finger first externally. You have to show... Okay, I'm always going to look and see, is it my team that's... Or can, what could we have done better? Which is like a good rule of life anyway. You always want to be around people who are looking to see if they could have done something better than a finger pointer, right? A victim, as it were. So that can help with avoiding friction and make you seem like, okay, I don't have to worry about that guy. These guys are doing the right things. It's also just... I think friction comes from not being aligned and not knowing if there's a disconnect to a KPI. Like often, actually, it happens with reporting because, hey, it looks like we're doing great. I'm looking at this dashboard and that dashboard. It looks like we grew your business by X amount and got this many more conversions. And they're looking at a different dashboard and saying, well, actually, no, like you guys are doing terrible. This is sucks. Why are you claiming sales from email? That's You don't even do email. That's just my stuff. Like why are you keep pointing to Murr when that has email sales in it and you don't even do our email. So gosh, that's happening more and more these days, especially with the loss of the iOS tracking. And so you need these other tools to be able to get a sense for things and you need to be able to pull in the multiple views of things. I'll look at the platform data. I'll look at murder to see if the whole thing's working. I'll look at this channel and that channel. You have to be able to talk through the why you're looking at different views to make sure they understand that you're not just cherry picking the data that makes you look good, but that you're being objective about it. I think that happens a lot. So that can lead to a lot of friction. So something to be mindful of. Don't assume that they know why you're looking at a certain view or attribution model or platform or whatnot to get a view that's advantageous to you as an agency, but that you're doing it because that gives you an indication of this other thing. So you know, I'm not like hanging my hat on this, but I am keeping an eye on it because that would tell me a trend here. If I see a difference there, then that means I should be looking here. 
So just being able to talk through it is a good skill to have and a good habit to as an account manager, as an agency. Yeah. I think a lot of what you described there is like really trying to be proactive versus reactive because when things are bad and they're trying to figure it out, if you're pointing the finger at them reactively, then it could feel defensive. But they hire us as the experts here and they expect us to see the problems that are coming. So if we can point out, well, you don't have enough, you're not getting us enough creative to keep this machine going, that's a totally different conversation and can really change the output on the back end where maybe you're not having these low KPI questions. Or maybe you are, but at least there was a lot of proactive steps to try solving that before they came around. We started at onboarding, but that's not really where your role starts. Talk a little bit more about how we brought you even further up in the customer journey and the statement of work phase. Yeah, let's go from the zipper analogy to the wedge analogy. So, and the wedge being that jump from marketing and sales, but essentially sales, sales to ops. And am I getting what I thought I would bought on the back end? So we've had issues where things have been said or promised or diagnosed on the sales side, but then that's not exactly what the client gets on the ops side. It's a real thing, right? Because you want to, again, that customer journey, you want the expectation to always be met as they go through. And you really have to be smart about what you say you're going to do in the beginning and that your team behind you can actually do those things. And that's the right thing to be doing. So what we've tried to do in this wedge thing is get someone on my role. I'm dialed in enough with what the ops team is able to do, what we're good at, what we should be doing from an order standpoint, and bringing that over to sales so that before we're trying to close this client to work with us, we're making the right promises in the right order so that we can then fulfill it on the back end. For example, if they're getting pitched all these fixes on their media buying, but what they really need is, God, they got to get their tracking sorted out first because their tracking is a mess and we don't even know what we're doing. And then we try to do that, but at the same time, we're charging for media buying, but that's not what they should have been getting. That makes us look bad later on down the line. Whereas if we had smartly done the scope of work saying, nope, I know you came to us for media buying, but the first 30, 60 days, we're doing this. We're getting your offline tracking set up. We're getting this third-party tracking tool to get the right visibility to the right scoreboard. We're doing that first, and then we can turn on the ads and we'll media buy and build you for that over here. So that kind of changes the way we do everything. The team that we bring on, the experts that we have working on the account, the way we build them and everything, but it's the right thing to do. That's what they needed at that time. Even though they came in thinking, oh, we're going to tier level because we want you know, their media buying, etc. So it's giving the right diagnosis and the right solution and delivering that. Again, I go up there as the wedge to just check the dots, make sure, okay, sales, okay, that looks good. You guys, okay, that's exactly what we should be doing. No, we can switch this up. Actually, we need to do this instead. We'll do that first, then we'll do that second. This is more important. And making sure we have the right order of events dialed in so that we avoid the missed expectation on the back end because that's the worst. You guys have been billing me for this and now you're telling me I need this, but you know, you just then you're just backpedaling. And that's the worst place for you as an agency is always backpedaling on stuff that you were doing and saying you're the expert at. Yeah, and it again, comes back to making sure that we are aligned with their business goals and what they really need versus what we want to charge them for. Because if we just charge them for what they ask for, that's not necessarily what they need. It's like, this is a different kind of why, but why do we do this? Because we have to do this first and we have to do that first before that. Always things that have to be foundational before we can do the thing that they really want. And I think that's been an important role they've been playing in making sure that we're aligned there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're continuing to invest more into that scope of work phase to make sure sales and ops agree, okay, that is the game plan we're going to roll with. And yeah, I think every agency should do that and clients should expect that. 
going in. What I'm getting sold here is this one I'm going to get. And that's not why. You know, you need to be asking, be mindful of that. It can go the wrong way for you. And that's just a waste of your investment. All right. So talking about that investment and great CS, and I know we're hiring for CSOs at the moment. What is a good CSO great at? Gosh, if you want to join our team and you have high emotional EIQ, you love to communicate and you're a taskmaster and can follow through, come join our team. We're building out this great customer success vertical. That's how we want to do business with people. If maybe you've been an account manager. So there's two things you can be great at. Ideally, you are balanced in both, but great at customer success. And maybe you were even outside digital marketing. Maybe you've been in B2B SaaS and you've been formally trained in customer success. We love those skills. We want to bring that in. Or you're strong in digital marketing, but you love working with people. You got high EIQ and you're a taskmaster. We want that person. We're looking for those unicorns. Come join my team. We're hiring and you got a plan to do some great things. So I think that'd be worthy of your time. Call to action. Hit the link up and around this video to apply for that job. Well, if you head over to tier11.com, there's a career section where you can apply. But even just talking about this like more broadly, what maybe not even working with us, what a brand should expect from their point of contact. Hopefully it's a single point of contact, but what should they expect in their account manager, the CSO, whoever they're talking with? How do they know if they have a good one? Yeah. If I'm a brand or a CMO or director of digital or whatnot, and I'm working with agencies, I want one point of contact. I want one person where I post my question and that person is going to go handle it with the experts. I want concise reporting. I want you to be aligned with my vision and my goals. I want you to know everything about my business. I want you to always swing in the axe. Have a journey for me. You're trying to take me someplace. I want a QBR. I want you to be able to ask me what other services I need when I need them because my needs are going to change quarter to quarter. You know, Maybe we're fixing one thing, but maybe now this thing's broken. I need help with that. I want you to be in tune with that. If I was in their shoe, I'd be irritated if I had to keep reminding them about certain things or there were I didn't know who to talk to or when I was able to talk to them. And I felt like you were trying all the time. And you were asking questions you should have asked me a long time ago that you know I expected you to know the answers to. I would also ask, okay, when you run out of ideas, where do you go to? Who else can you bring in? How am I going to always know that I'm getting the latest and greatest and you guys are up with the trends that are happening in the industry? I think that would be my expectation. And I want great service at a fair price. I don't want to overpay. I don't want to underpay for cheap stuff. I want great service at a fair price. To help me achieve my vision. To help me achieve my vision. Come on. Let's get there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, is there anything else you want to hit on with customer success? No, I think that was it. I hope that was valuable to anyone watching. It's a passion of mine to build out the best customer experience with Cure 11. If you're looking for an agency, please consider us. We will treat you right. If you're looking for a role and a place where you can expand, we'd love to have you. So please apply to that and consider that application. And if you are interested in working with Tier 11 with your brand, or if you want to work for Tier 11, head over to tier11.com. You'll find all the information in our navigation bar. But Mike, I always enjoy these conversations. We never get to go like deep enough. I mean, people who are very passionate about a single thing within all of our marketing. And these conversations are really good to do that with you and the rest of the team that we've had. Just being able to go deep on very specific topics and see how expert our team is on these things. So Mike, thank you very much for joining us and have a good weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. Appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this video or found it valuable, please like and subscribe and then share it with your friends and coworkers and anybody else that you think might be interested. For this week and the Customer Acquisition Show, I am Tom Meredith, and we'll catch you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.